The Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, sponsored by Investec, are open for entries. If you are an entrepreneur-led business bringing radical change to its sector, please apply at www.spectator/innovator. We are looking for entries all across the UK, and our closing date is the 4th of July. Hello and welcome to Table Talk, the Spectator's food and drink podcast. I'm Laura Prendergast. And I'm Olivia Potts. And today we're delighted to be joined by Nell Hudson. Nell is an actress best known for her roles in Outlander, Victoria, and most recently the latest Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Her debut novel, Just for Today, was written on the set of Victoria. Nell, welcome to Table Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Now, as regular listeners will know, we always start at the same place uh, at the beginning and ask you, what are your earliest memories of food? So I've listened to your podcast now and was prepared for this question. And one of the questions I've heard you ask is whether people were fussy eaters, to which my answer is yes, very much so. I was <laughs> the fussiest eater that you could be as a child um so anything that was sort of scary to a child I refused to eat I remember once even taking a mouthful of broccoli and immediately just vomiting all over my mum's lap (laughs) so it was bad but I was lucky because mum is a brilliant brilliant cook um and as I got older I got to enjoy that more and more and uh every week on a Sunday my dad would be in charge of the roast so food growing up was amazing I just took a while to kind of adapt to it (laughs) and what were mealtimes like mealtimes were really kind of wholesome and sweet I think supper in my family was always the like big meal of the day where we all kind of came together and chatted about our days which is something that has been instilled in me and I'm still quite precious about to this day I really care about coming together for supper and joining in conversation so yeah, we'd all always sit down and eat supper together as a family every day after school. And the Sunday roast, as I mentioned, was always a tradition as well. And were there things that, that you were reliant on that you would eat while you were fussy? Or was it just... Literally, there's a family legend, which is that my mum took me to the doctor when I was about three and said, I'm really worried Nell will only eat two things, which is pettifilu yogurts <laughs> and Marmite sandwiches. And the doctor said, well, is she unwell? Is she, you know, not growing properly? Is there any actual problem with this? And mum was like, no, but, you know, it's just very specific. And the doctor was like, don't worry about it. She's fine. She's healthy. It's all good. So that was my staple diet, I think, for like the first five years of my life. And what, when your mum was cooking, beyond the petit filou and marmite sandwiches, what, what was she cooking that you enjoyed eating? She is an incredible cook. I'm so lucky she can make anything. And also sort of, I think more than maybe my friend's mum's growing up was quite experimental with cooking. So she bothered to get kind of the latest cookbook and try something from a different country and all that sort of thing. So there were a few kind of staple favourites, such as the River Cafe spicy sausage pasta, which is phenomenal recipe. Um, And she just does a great roast chicken she she's just an amazing cook and kind of all does cuisines from kind of all over the world and did you cook with her as a child no not at all I'm only recently good at cooking I think until about my genuinely late 20s I was crap at cooking I would have argued otherwise I'd have I'm one of those people who pretends that I'm good at everything and it's like yeah I can do it I can do that um (laughs) maybe it's the actor in me I can act as if I can do something when I can't um so no she was she's quite like (laughs) I think one of the things about 
a lot of good chefs is that they don't want anyone else in their kitchen. They're kind of like, back off, I know what I'm doing, you will only slow me down. So, no, I didn't help mum at all. I respect that. I don't want dead weight in my kitchen. I'm a bit like that now, is the thing. Like, now when I cook, I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, like... Yeah, get out. Yeah. <laughs> and now, I think I'm right in saying that you grew up on a farm. What Did that have any influence on the food that you were eating? Definitely. So, I'm recently vegan, but until that happened, I was very conscientious about any animal products that I ate because of my dad being a farmer and just learning to think about where the food that you eat is coming from. And especially, of course, when it comes to meat, you know, really thinking like, hang on, this is an animal. And and also, <laughs> I had my chance as a young person to, it probably sounds really brutal, and as a vegan, I would probably wince at hearing this now, but I have shot a pheasant, plucked it, gutted it, cooked it and eaten it. Um, and the same with a rabbit. <laughs> and weirdly, I do sort of think that it's maybe something that anyone who wants to eat meat should have to do is know, like, this is what it involves. This is what you have to do. And also, it's kind of the only ethical way, in a way, to eat meat. Um, so definitely, I think that, like, bucolic upbringing had a huge influence on my attitude towards food. And jumping jumping ahead then to your recent conversion to veganism how has that gone down with the the farming family (laughs) it's all right I think that my whole family are very kind of eco-conscious so for environmental reasons they're quite down with the vegan thing anyway my dad is a little bit more traditional probably and I recently went home and cooked something with vegan mince and he was not a fan (laughs) Um, but no they're they're pretty cool about it to be fair just to take you back again <laughs> now, uh, school food. What What are your memories of school food? I loved school food. I remember just being very thrilled that lunch every single day at school came with a pudding. What a treat. I remember, you know, because lunch at home was always a very kind of like jumbled affair where it was just sort of like every man for himself. You know, what is there in the fridge, in the bread bin, just grab something. It wasn't the kind of ritualistic sit-down meal that we'd always have at supper so going to school and having like a full hot meal and then a kind of lovely hot vanilla sponge with custard was a real treat (laughs) so I really liked school food and you attended Oxford School of Drama what what was it like leaving leaving the farm and leaving good cooking and fending for yourself it was interesting (laughs) I um Yeah, I was really bad at cooking and also the student budget thing. I was really bad at budgeting and still am quite bad at budgeting. So I'd often find myself running out of money because I'd spent it on Starbucks and magazines and pointless fast fashion from Topshop. And then I'd be like, oh no, I'm going to have to eat cereal for my supper next week. (laughs) So I wasn't very good at kind of rationing out things. Also at drama school, it was interesting because I went aged 18 straight out of A-levels So I was quite green and going into that environment of kind of cooking for yourself, but also drama school, a lot like dance school, is people being around people for the first time in my life who are quite fixated with how they look more than I'd ever experienced. And also at drama school, you have this uniform, which is that you're in tight black leggings and a tight black leotard. And having been fairly kind of body, like not even very conscious of my body, just sort of like, I've got a body, it works, hurrah. I suddenly had, you know, this like sharp introduction to kind of uh, body self-consciousness and 
probably body dysmorphia because we were all in these leotards all the time. So I think that that was kind of a confusing thing, like going into living by myself for the first time and cooking for myself and feeding myself for the first time, but also kind of being given this message subliminally that smaller was better, if that makes sense. And and did that affect the way that you ate at that point in your life? I think so. I think I didn't even know it at the time. I only can kind of see this in hindsight, but, you know, I think definitely being in that environment and sort of, yeah, definitely. I think that I I was probably underfeeding myself towards the end of drama school with the pressure of graduation and kind of getting an agent and getting work coming up I think that definitely happened but I wasn't aware of it at the time I just sort of noticed like oh this is interesting if I eat this much then I can look like this and it's you know you know what it's like it's sort of a addictive slippery slope um but yeah I think thankfully as soon as I graduated and kind of came to live in London and moved into a house full of boys it sort of went right at itself <laughs> and how did how, what role did food play in that sort of house sharing as a young adult with with lots of boys I am proud to say that I didn't fall into the kind of typical matriarchal role in that house full of boys which could have very easily happened but I could also just blame that on not being a very good cook still <laughs> at that point <laughs> it was it was fun I remember the kind of pleasure in like learning to cook on a budget in a kind when you're poor and young and living in London for the first time there was something really joyous about like everyone chipping in and making just like a massive vat of pasta and kind of two bottles of cheap red wine and sort of sharing that together I think that meals will always be whether you're in a fine dining restaurant or kind of all at home kind of as I say sharing a big vat of pasta it's such a like lovely bonding thing that I have really fond memories of. And now you've obviously worked on a variety of different big tv shows what's what's food like on set what kind of things are you served when you're when you're acting it's not bad I didn't know I have a funny story about this actually which is that Outlander was my first like big job out of drama school and I didn't know that as an actor they need to kind of get you through lunch quite quickly they sort of need to process you like okay go and have your lunch and then you'll go back into the makeup truck and have your makeup retouched before you start filming again for the afternoon so you need to be swift through that process so one of the ways that they uh kind of grease line that process is uh they give you lunch in your trailer like you go back to your trailer and your lunch is there ready waiting for you and you eat it as quickly as possible I didn't know this so I saw all the crew queuing up for the food truck and I just assumed that I would get in that queue because that's what everyone else was doing um and I got quite badly told off (laughs) someone a runner came over to me and was like what are you doing in the queue go to your trailer your lunch is in the trailer and I was like oh god sorry um so I didn't know that and it was all a bit like disorienting it's like oh okay this is weird I get to kind of skip the queue and eat solitary lunch in my trailer yeah that's quite lonely it is quite lonely I find it quite lonely I definitely found it lonely at the time and you know the more acting work I did the more I'd try and like find an ally to be like do you want to eat lunch together can I come sit in your trailer with you Lunch buddies. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, yeah, food should be a convivial thing and not yeah. a weird solitary thing that you eat in a caravan. <laughs> <laughs> and have you always filmed in the UK or have you filmed in other countries? No, I filmed in other countries too. I filmed in Bulgaria and the Czech Republic and Scotland, obviously, which is sort of another country. (laughs) Yeah, and it's definitely interesting. Like, in Bulgaria, the food was a lot better than I expected, but it was 
harder to stick to the vegan thing over there. For and sure. as a, a had you travelled much before acting? Was was travel a big thing for your family when you were younger? Quite a big thing. My mum has a fear of flying, so we would drive all the way down to the south of France rather than take a plane, um, which involved a lot of arguing about who got the front seat because me and both of my siblings will get terribly carsick. <laughs> so those journeys were so intense. Um, but no, I love to travel and kind of, it has been more of a thing in my adult life. And food for me is a huge priority when I'm going somewhere. I'm like, I don't want to visit a place unless I'm interested in eating their food. Now tell us about your new book because you, you wrote it on the set of Victoria. How did, how did you sort of, Sounds like it's a pretty busy day anyway when you're filming. How did you find the time to do that? Well, it began actually on the train journeys up to Yorkshire. We filmed in Yorkshire and I was sort of going back and forth every single week from King's Cross up there. Um, and it just, I, I always carry a notebook with me and would sort of scribble in it, whether that was kind of notes for my character on a job I was doing or little diary entries or just thoughts or observations. And then started writing something that was actually kind of, you know, the beginnings of a story, just scribbling in this notebook on train journeys. And before I knew it, the notebook was full. And I thought, oh, I wonder, you know, how much this is. And I typed it up on my laptop. And it was, I think at that point, 20,000 words. And I thought, well, I don't want to waste that. That's so much work. (laughs) Um, And then I kind of, yeah, I got the bug. And so I'd sort of find time in my trailer, kind of, I mean, the thing about acting is it is a busy day, but there's also a hell of a lot of waiting around what's it about the book so it's a coming of age book it's a kind of classic you know the kind of books I love to read so think kind of secret history by Donna Tartt meets I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith so it's a girl who's dropped out of uni and living in London and working as a nanny and falling in love with the wrong people and probably partying too much and living a quite hedonistic lifestyle until sort of various unfortunate events lead to her sort of self-actualization and kind of realizing that she needs to grow up a bit and take some responsibility so it's about kind of everything it's about kind of growing up and friendship and love and grief sounds fantastic are you planning further books are you still writing now yes i am actually going to the south of france tomorrow on the excuse that it's a recce <laughs> for my next book, which, to be fair, it is. I've um, I've actually almost finished the next book, which is much more based in the acting world. My first book had nothing to do with acting. I kind of kept it a bit more distant from myself. And then for my second book, I sort of realised I have all these very juicy anecdotes from working on sets and hearing about actors that I know, and I just thought I've got to put these in a book. So this one's a bit more kind of juicy. It's a bit more of a beach read. It's about a film within a book and kind of a love triangle and actors. And it's set in the south of France. So I'm going there tomorrow. <laughs> Lovely. When you're not travelling or on set or away, where do you like to eat? In London or wherever? So I live in Hackney in East London and I'm really spoilt for amazing food around here. There's so many lovely little kind of independent restaurants. We went to somewhere called Uchi the other night, which is just on the other side of Hackney Downs, which is a little independent sushi restaurant. And it's just so lovely. The sort of decor is really beautiful. There's sort of candles and plants and it really is a lovely space. I think that's a really important part of enjoying your food, actually, is the sort of environment that you're in. Um, 
And then there's Jolene, which I'm sure you girls will know, in Newington Green down the road. I've got Little Duck down there, Cafe Cecilia, Broadway Market and all the market stalls there. It's, it's such a great area for food. Yeah, so I'm very spoiled. It's probably my biggest vice is food. I probably spend most of my cash flow on food. <laughs> and when you're in, what are you cooking? God, everything. I've got a bit of an addiction at the moment to trying things off. There's an Instagram page called Mob Kitchen. Every time they put something up, I think, oh my God, that looks so good. So I kind of just try anything that they put up. And they're really good at doing vegan recipes too. So I love, you know, I've got a few things that I'll kind of make every week as a staple. So like a Thai lab is one of them. We'll have that once a week. And then there's this amazing recipe for like creamy harissa pasta, which is delicious. Um, it's actually been kind of amazing going vegan because you have to inevitably get a lot more creative with cooking. Did you go via vegetarianism or did you go from meat eating to veganism? Yeah, I did. I went veggie first and then I realised that I'm actually basically dairy intolerant. (laughs) And I'd just been kind of forcing it on my body all these years. And as soon as I gave it up, I felt so much better. And I was like, oh, this isn't, this doesn't really agree with me. Um, So yeah, it was, it was via vegetarianism. Now, what for you is comfort food? I mean, I still enjoy chocolate very, very much. And luckily there are some really great vegan chocolates out there now. Shout out to Vigo. I think it's pronounced Vigo, Vego, I don't know how you say it, but they do this big slab with hazelnuts in it. And I've given it to my non-vegan friends and family and they are like, yeah, fair play, couldn't tell that was vegan. Um, (laughs) So that's really good. Um, I'll always go for a piece of toast with Marmite. Super cosy, so I'm still into the bread and Marmite from those early years. (laughs) Just not the Petit Falou. Just not the Petit Falou, sadly. Those are probably my comfort foods. And uh, do you like hosting? No, not really, to be honest. Every I think I do, and I'll get really excited about it and, like, very much set the scene in a kind of actory way and, like, buy loads of candles and flowers. And then I'm just incredibly stressed and I hate it and cry. It's <laughs> <laughs> very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> know that yeah. feeling. And now to finish, what what would be your desert island meal? This is honestly such a Sophie's choice for me. I think... Desert Island meal, I'd have to throw veganism out the window (laughs) at that point. I'd just be like, screw it, I'm having whatever I want. So I would probably start with the River Cafe spicy sausage pasta, as the Italians do, having pasta as a first course. It's so good. It's full of cream and nutmeg, and it's spicy but creamy, and just that would be an ultimate comfort food, to be fair. It's just a big, warming bowl of pasta. You can't go wrong. That would probably be my starter. For my main, I would have a very rare, delicious steak. And I recently went to a restaurant in Paris called La Poule Pot, and the steak there might have been the best one I've ever had in my life. So if I could have that one, please. <laughs> that, would be, that would be my main. And then pudding, I think you've got to have chocolate in some form or another. Otherwise, it's not. It's just not a satisfying pudding for me. So I think I'd go for like a melt-in-the-middle hot chocolate pudding, with and here's what is it going to be cream is it going to be custard is it going to be ice cream is it three if you want (laughs) (laughs) and to drink okay this is also quite deep i would have (laughs) i would have a glass of champagne to kick things off because i think it like Mm -hmm. lifts the beginning of a meal and then i would break my own rule which is never have grain after grape and then i'd have a really juicy new england ipa because i love them 
And then I'd probably have a really nice, rich, red, organic wine with the steak. And then with pudding, I might have another glass of champagne. Sounds completely like. Can we come? Please do. Yeah. <laughs> it's a convivial thing. Don't want to be lonely on my desert island. <laughs> we won't make you host. It's fine. No, we'll get it all in. need flowers or anything. <laughs> Nell, thank you very much for joining Table Talk. And Nell's debut novel, Just For Today, is out now. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Table Talk. If you enjoyed it, please do leave us a rating and review. For more recipes and recommendations, sign up to The Spectator's free monthly food and drink email, The Takeaway, written by me, Olivia Potts. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Olivia Potts.